You're listening to episode number 36 of the Body You Crave podcast, the one where we talk about why you are not addicted to sugar. Let's go. I'm master life and weight loss coach Jillian Lama, and you're listening to the Body You Crave podcast, where you'll learn how to end emotional eating, lose excess weight, and feel amazing in your body. No cheating required. Keep listening, and I'll show you how. Hey, welcome back. We are diving into a very controversial topic, something that's hotly debated quite often, and it's all around sugar addiction. Now, you might have heard this around like being addicted to food, being addicted to chocolate or carbs or anything else, and I think sugar is often the most common one, so that's what I'm going to address today. And my belief is that you are not addicted to sugar. And I want to explain why. I think there are a lot of fear mongers out there who are trying to tell you that you are addicted so that you will just say no. And it backfires. It doesn't actually work. So I, I've got five key reasons as to why sugar addiction is not a real thing. And it's just a bunch of BS. It's hogwash and poppycock and you can throw it out the window. But I want to also address a couple other things that stem more from the emotional mindset aspect. Number one, when you tell yourself that you're addicted to sugar, how do you feel? And I want you to come up with a one word emotion. And for most of us, it's likely going to be something like helpless or powerless, maybe flawed. There's something fundamentally wrong with you. That is often how we end up feeling. So when I feel powerless around sugar, what type of action do you take or not take? You're probably going to give in to your cravings. You're going to give in to the food urges. You're going to eat it more, and then you're going to chalk it up till I'm addicted. And so you keep this cycle going. This only reinforces a negative habit and this negative loop of I'm addicted. I feel helpless and powerless. So now I just eat because I can't control it. I can't help it anyways. And now we keep cycling through over and over again. It's terrible. So we want to really look at how do we show up and actually make conscious decisions for ourselves My other aspect here is that we really want to look at our desire. So we want to look at cravings versus urges. So when I talk about desire, I'm often referring to a food urge. So it stems from your thoughts. You have a thought like, oh, this would taste really good. This would be super yummy. Everybody else is eating. We have an increased or strong desire simply because we have a mismanaged mind. We have not taken control of our thoughts and recognized all of them that create this desire and create this wanting. So rather than deciding and committing to that decision, you debate and you go back and forth. A little won't hurt. I could just have one bite, maybe just one cookie. I could probably run an extra mile or two tomorrow. We try to justify and give permission to why this is okay. But this only fuels the desire. It only makes it stronger. Versus if we have that desire and we create a pause and we say no, and then we just say, no, I'm not thinking about it anymore. And we move on with our day. We move on with our life then it's not a problem because the actual urge, the cortisol in our body, it only lasts for about 90 seconds. It's a very short amount of time. We just don't like any discomfort (laughs) as human beings. Like we are just very comfortable people. We live in a very comfortable world right now. We have a lot of luxuries and that is just not something we want to put up with and we want to deal with. 
The other aspect is looking at cravings. So a craving is your body's physiological response to what you are doing or not doing. So often it's what you're eating or not eating, how you're exercising and when. So when we start to really tune into our bodies and listen to what foods do we actually enjoy eating, which for many of us, it's probably going to be eating all food groups unless there are certain foods that you have a negative response to, like you have a sensitivity or an allergy to, or you're, you just don't feel good when you eat those foods. Those are going to be the ones that we're, we'll want to eat less of. But for everything else, we want to make sure that we're getting in carbs, fat, protein, veggies, fruit, foods that we actually enjoy. And when we do that and we start to eat when we are hungry and stop when we're satisfied and we fuel our bodies properly for the exercise that we are doing, now we can actually eliminate cravings. And if we aren't eliminating them altogether, we are substantially reducing them. Most of my desire, I would say these days, is a coping mechanism. I'm seeking something sweet in order to feel better, in order to calm down my mind, in order to distract myself from any negative thoughts about myself or my life. So I'll get more into this as we get going, but we really just want to be aware of how we're talking to ourselves about food because if food has all the power, you're screwed. And what I teach is the exact opposite, is that food is not the problem. Food doesn't have the power. You are the problem, which means you get to be the solution. You have all of the power that you need. Okay, you don't need anyone or anything else outside of you. You don't need a five-step process to end your sugar addiction. That's not it. And often I think we get mixed up and confused in thinking about sugar as a drug instead of as a coping mechanism. Right now, many of us probably turn to sweet foods and sugary foods as a coping mechanism, as a way of avoiding our negative emotions, as a way of seeking relief or relaxation. But it's been twisted and manipulated and talked about as if sugar was a drug. So point number one is that sugar is fine in moderate amounts. Drugs are not. Okay, so most people are going to talk about sugar as if it's this hard drug. So they villainize it. They shame you about it in the hopes of tricking your brain into believing it's bad so you are less likely to want it and eat it. Right? That's the whole idea. This is a bad food. It's this terrible, horrible habit, and you don't want to do it. So you should just shame yourself into saying no. I've seen people do this around smoking, too. Of every time they talk about it, it's, let me go smoke this nasty cigarette that's so horrible for me, and I can't believe I'm doing it. Like, they verbally, out loud, will shame themselves in front of other people in the hopes that this will get them to stop or it'll trick their brain into not wanting it. It doesn't work. You just feel like shit because you, you've shamed yourself. You want it more. Because you feel like crap. And now you're like, the sugar makes me feel better. <laughs> the, the cigarette makes me feel better. So this doesn't work. By moralizing food, you now moralize yourself. So now it's, I'm doing a bad thing because I'm eating the sugar. And then it turns into, now I'm a bad person. Now I am bad because I'm eating this. The only option is to abstain or die trying. That's it. When it's sugar is a drug, and it's this toxic chemical that's going to kill you, and we can't moderate, it, it is literally, you must abstain. We must just say no. Just willpower and fight through it. But again, this takes us back to that shame cycle, trying to shame yourself into not consuming sugar because it's this evil thing. And there are zero studies that link moderate amounts of sugar with any type of health problem. Okay, zero. There are no studies out there that show this. We can't say the same about crystal meth. There is no moderate amount of drugs that is not going to have a long-term negative impact on your body. 
Okay, so a better question to start asking yourself is, how do I feel after eating certain foods? How do I feel after eating these sugary foods? Do you feel sluggish or do you feel energized? Does it impact your sleep? Does it impact your stomach? Acid reflux, other bodily functions? Like how does this impact you? I find that for me, I'm good. If I have one or two scoops of ice cream at night, I'm totally fine. If I eat an entire pint, even if it's the healthier version, if it's low fat or low carb or low sugar or whatever it is, even if I do this healthier option, I still don't feel great. I still want to be mindful of how much I'm consuming. But a little bit doesn't impact me that much. Eating a little bit of dark chocolate doesn't impact me. There's no negative side effect or consequence. So what we want to do here is really just listen to your body. You don't have to demonize sugar in order to eat less of it. You alone are in control of what you put in your mouth. You control that. You do not have to shame yourself into trying to eat less. Point number two. Clinical research done on rats did not prove sugar addiction in humans. So some of you may be familiar with the argument for sugar addiction based off of rat studies that showed more addictive and drug-seeking behavior for sugar than illicit drugs like cocaine, heroin, or crystal meth. But here's what really happened because we only get the conclusion and what somebody has decided to tell you about the study. Very few people actually go and look at the study itself. And I'll be honest, I didn't look at the studies myself either for a very long time. But when I did, I found that researchers deprived the rats of food for 12 to 16 hours. And then they gave them free access to sugar and hard drugs for eight to 12 hours, okay? For 12 to 16 hours, the rats had no food. There was nothing there. Think about a rat for a moment. Its primary concern is for survival, which is dependent on them finding food in any form. So the rat wants food. Sugar is food, therefore, the rat wants sugar. Of course, they're gonna choose the sugar over the drugs. It's their primal drive for survival kicking in, not some kind of artificial substance. Researchers also used rodents that were selected to have a preference for sugar, so they were able to produce addiction-like behaviors. Unlike addictive drug studies, where rodents were completely naive to a drug that was used. So when the rats were given access to sugar whenever they wanted it, there was no addiction-like behavior. And that's really fascinating. When sugar was just there and readily available, if they had food and then sugar and they could get it whenever they wanted, There was no addiction-like behavior. The drug-seeking behavior was only when the rats were given intermittent access to sugar and therefore intermittent access to food. Huh, sounds a lot like dieting if you ask me. So this confirms what we know about humans and sugar is that when you take something away, i.e. you diet, you obsess over it, you desire and crave it more, and then you overconsume, you binge. Right? So if sugar was addicting, we would be hoarding bags of sugar and spooning it straight into our mouth. And I don't think anybody here is doing that. You're not running into the Starbucks, grabbing all their little sugar packets, and then dashing out before anybody can see you. It's not how this is going down. Number three, there's a dopamine addiction correlation. and But just because there's dopamine doesn't mean that you are addicted. So this is another kind of misconception, myth, false conclusion that we've come to. I just want to make this really easy for us to understand because I think that's one of the other issues is that so often people, researchers, doctors, scientists, they will use big words and bombard us with stuff that just is so convoluted and doesn't make sense and it's not helpful. I'm going to make this easy for me to understand. That way it's easy for anybody to understand. Essentially, 
doing drugs releases a flood of hormones, specifically dopamine, and it triggers a part of the brain that's responsible for reward. So the argument here is that hard drugs light up a part of your brain and increase dopamine, which leads to addiction, right? Because your brain has that reward center going off and it's constantly ping, ping. It's like this reward. And so we're constantly trying to get that reward in the brain. We've found a way to to hit it. Sugar also lights up part of your brain and increases dopamine. Therefore, people have misdiagnosed that sugar must be addictive too because it lights up the parts of your brain and it lights up those dopamine pathways. So while sugar does trigger the same pathway as drugs, so do many other things like naps, exercise, sex, connecting with others, all food, not just food that breaks down into sugar, but all food. There was another study that showed that couples who had been happily married for years got a flood of dopamine when they were shown a picture of their ex. Does this mean that they're addicted to their ex? No, they're probably just feeling nostalgic. Okay, if sugar and other food didn't trigger that dopamine reward cycle, we would not be alive today because this is how we've stayed alive. We need food to be that reward so that we keep eating. That's how we stay alive. That's how our brains are wired. Sleep is good for us. That's why we are going to get a a hit of dopamine from naps or from exercise, from moving our bodies. It does not mean that we are addicted to it. Again, go back to how does that make you feel? How do you show up for your life and in different situations when you feel like you're addicted and you have no power? You don't show up in a positive way. You're half-assing it at best. If we did not have this reward cycle around food, we would have starved to death. Literally. So just because we're not addicted doesn't mean that it's not used as a coping mechanism. This is where emotional eating comes in. This is why we just want to make sure that we're solving the right problem. It's not that we have to solve sugar addiction. We want to solve the emotional eating. That's it. Point number four. (laughs) I give you exhibit B, fruit and milk. Okay, if sugar was addictive, you would have the same cravings and the same kind of sugar high from strawberries or yogurt or milk or anything else that is naturally high in sugar. But I bet you're not binging on fruit when you're bored, stressed, tired, overwhelmed, or anxious. No! We're like, give me the candy bar, give me the cupcakes or the muffins or the ho-hos. Despite the fact that fruit and dairy contain naturally occurring sugar, no one ever claims to be addicted to these foods. We might jokingly be like, oh, I love it so much. I'm like totally addicted to it. But nobody seriously thinks that they are physically powerless without it, that they cannot live their life without it. Someone who is addicted to drugs will go to extraordinary lengths to get even the smallest amount of that substance. Your desire for something sweet in the moment might feel urgent, But the bulk of that cortisol, again, it passes within 90 seconds. You simply have to decide and not create unnecessary suffering. Okay, we don't like the discomfort of sitting through an urge, even though it truly doesn't feel that bad, number one. And number two, doesn't even last that long. It's just uncomfortable because of our thoughts. Okay, this is unnecessary suffering. We make it worse by how we're thinking about it. This shouldn't be happening. I wish this would go away. Oh no, not this again. We're afraid of it. That's what makes it terrible. That's what makes it feel uncomfortable. And to be honest, we are very used to very comfortable lives. We are used to having our our creature comforts. But we need to stop debating whether or not to eat the cookie. We need to stop fantasizing about the cookie and how good it's going to taste. And maybe I can just have a little bit. It's that debating, that negotiating back and forth that makes that desire and that urge even worse. It's not about the sugar. It's about our thoughts. It's about how we are thinking about food as a whole. 
And point number five is that binging decreases when given access to the forbidden foods. I've talked about this a little bit in the past, and I know it sounds counterintuitive, but think about your last cheat day. You probably had to eat as much as you possibly could, even if you didn't truly want that food or want that much food, because you knew it was going to be off limits the next day. So even though I may not be in the mood for fries or peanut butter or ice cream, damn it, I was going to eat it because it was back to nothing tomorrow. So it's that all or nothing thinking. And these behaviors might look and feel like sugar addiction on the surface, but they're actually a byproduct of diet thinking. Through restriction or labeling foods as good or bad, we create our own deprivation that triggers that desire. We want it more, right? Again, it's off limits, so we're going to want it. Binging, especially on sweets, stems from a thought rather than the actual neurochemical effects of sugar. Most often, this is a thought about your life, your career, your job, your partner, your kids. It's not just thoughts about food. Thoughts about food certainly come into play, the diet culture. But binging, in particular, stems more from how we are thinking. So binging, food urges, overeating, they're all simply coping mechanisms. They're trying to help you avoid your current thoughts and feelings. Your habit brain, it wants to keep you alive. It's just trying to help you avoid pain and seek pleasure. It's a coping mechanism. It is not an addiction. We commonly view eating behavior as controlled by willpower. So when you can't stop eating sugar, it feels like a personal failure. But it's neither a lack of willpower nor addiction. You're simply allowing your diet thinking to make all of your food decisions for you. Okay, that's it. Where do we go from here? What's the solution then? If we're actually not addicted to sugar, where do we go? We want to end the war with food. We need to stop restricting, stop depriving, stop holding all your hopes and dreams hostage with food. Your cravings and urges will never magically go away, but you can reduce them and change how you respond to an urge in the moment when it shows up. It's never about the food. It is always about your thoughts. Thoughts about yourself, about your life, about your day, about your mistakes, about your failures. Thoughts about food, your food rules, what's good or bad, what you can and can't eat, what you should or shouldn't eat. I ran a bakery for two years. I mainly did cakes and cupcakes and special events like birthdays, anniversaries, baby showers, parties, things like that. And I was never tempted to binge on the cake or cake scraps because I knew there would be plenty more tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. Cake was just there all the time. I didn't have to binge on it. I didn't have to overeat and overconsume. I could try a little and be satisfied. I could go some days without having any because again, it wasn't off limits. It was always there. It was always available. It was never a bad food. It was never something that there wouldn't be plenty of the next day. This is how we want to start to think about food as a whole is that nothing is off limits. If you're ready to end the war with food and you're ready to stop punishing yourself by taking away food or demonizing yourself, shaming yourself in the hopes of losing weight, then I would love to help. So you can schedule your free consult at bodyyoucrave.com forward slash schedule and I'll show you how simple it is to lose weight eating the food you love and never fear gaining it back again. Because you can't have your cake and eat it too. I know it sounds like a pipe dream, but it is 100% possible and I'll show you how. I guarantee it's much simpler than you think. I hope that helps clear up some of the myths and misunderstandings around sugar. And I wanted to talk about that this week in particular because as we have Valentine's Day coming up and a lot of times there are more cookies and candy and things that are around, I don't want us to be so caught up and so afraid and terrified of food and candy and things that we don't 
just recognize and honor the things that we we do enjoy, that we do want to eat, and that we can't value a spouse or a partner or somebody who wants to give us a gift and wants to give us candy or cookies or our kids want to make us something and we feel like we can't eat it because it's bad or it's just going to lead to more addiction or more cravings, more desire. The way that we handle that is with our thoughts. It's how we think about things. All right. Have a happy February. Have a wonderful Valentine's Day. And more good stuff is coming this month. I can't wait to share it with you. All right. Here's to creating the life and body you crave. If you like this episode, then you'll love my free virtual workshop, Five Keys to End Emotional Eating and Lose Excess Weight for Life. You'll learn the counterintuitive reason why all your attempts to restrict food over the years has actually led to weight gain and the mental switch you need to flick that'll have you dropping pounds without sacrificing wine, carbs, or the food you love. Get all the details at bodyyoucrave.com.